It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Guess what? <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to episode number 592 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, October 29th. I am your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And also, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for you. All 30 NBA teams covered. We've got a bunch of national shows for you to check out as well. Between the Nate Duncan, John Hollinger show on Mondays, Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko with Rejecting the Screen, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've got Locked On NBA still daily for you as well. No shortage of NBA content to take you through this very confusing and fun early part of the season. And also, we got the NHL shows, MLB, uh, what else? What other sports are there? Football, that's the other sport. Make sure you're checking those shows out as well. Subscribing, rating, reviewing, supporting all of the hosts that you would like to support and ensure that they have success in iTunes rankings and all that good stuff. So thank you in advance for taking the time. All right, on today's show... The Toronto Raptors beat the Orlando Magic 104-95 on Monday night at Scotiabank Arena. In attendance was today's guest, Josh Howe from Raptors Republic and, for the month, Raptors.com. Josh, how are you, man? I'm really good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm having a, a good time watching this team early on, but my big question to you after last night's game was, how was the Terrence Ross tribute video? Um, it was, it was good. It was, it was nice. It was fun to see. Um, it was kind of hilarious because obviously they play those during timeouts and, uh, when they put Ross on the, on the jumbotron, he kind of like, you know, they're in the middle of the timeout, they're discussing strategy and stuff. And he kind of just turned around and look up and <laughs> looked up to see himself up there and just kind of was like, Hey, like the most half-hearted wave. Um, <laughs> because he's in the middle of like game stuff. And, uh, I don't, I'm not sure he knew he was going to be on there or not, but it was, it was kind of funny just to see that. But, uh, yeah, the tribute video was great. Although, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I noticed this, and, and Will Lou, I think, tweeted this as well. But 
Um, nothing for DJ Augustine, who was like standing <laughs> right beside Terrence Ross the whole time. And I mean, wow, he's right there, guys. Um, I mean, Kevin Birch got a shout out too. One of the hometown hero things that the Raptors are doing uh, because he's Canadian. But uh, yeah, nothing for Raptors legend DJ Augustine. So uh, that was a little, a uh, little weird. I think Augustine ruined any goodwill he had when he hit that stupid <laughs> shot at the end of Game 1, which I still forget happened, but it did happen. <laughs> and I liked how yeah. you weren't watching on the broadcast, obviously, because you were in attendance, but on the broadcast, uh, as I was sitting at home, cuddled up in my blankie, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> sipping on herbal tea, uh, they started it off with this, like, montage of Augustine hitting the shot and tried to make it out to be this, like, dramatic moment over which the Raptors had to... Like, just, like, overcome on their way to winning the title. Pretty funny that they manufactured that. Good job, producers, over at Sportsnet. Um, but, no, Terrence Ross, in fact, was not the story of this game. He had 11 points. He hit a big three late. That made me very happy. But he yeah. was only one of eight from downtown in the game. So we don't necessarily have to talk too much about Terrence Ross today, I guess, begrudgingly. Uh, so we'll do what we typically do with these Game re- Recap podcasts. Josh, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors win over the Magic? Ooh, biggest takeaway. Um, will Nick Nurse ever win a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's 0-3 on challenges right now. Will he ever win one? I, I think he, he's going to have to challenge challenges uh, soon. But um, no. Uh, I guess the real takeaway was the defense. I mean, both yeah. of these teams were fantastic defensively. Um, we knew that both teams were good defensively and both kind of struggle offensively. So uh, this game was kind of set up to be a bit of a barn burner, but it didn't really disappoint from the defensive aspect of things. You know, there were guys buzzing all around the floor, um, Fred Van Vliet making amazing digs, the Raptors rotating super quickly, Siakam with his flailing limbs coming out of nowhere to contest shots that he has no business getting to, um, Jonathan Isaac putting on a defensive masterclass, doing a bunch of things, getting his hand in places, guarding Siakam in isolations. Um, so it was really fun. Uh, if you like that part of basketball, it was really fun to watch two teams who are just really good, really long, really big, really quick at, uh, uh, defending each other. And, um, even transition defense there, both teams were pretty good at that and had some really amazing sequences getting back to stop uh, the other from scoring that way. So that was fun. Um, the other side of that is not too much scoring in this one. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe to the untrained eye, the real doldrums of this game between like the middle of the second quarter and the third quarter for the most part, you know, you could have said, oh, this is just like a really sloppy offensive game, but I don't think it was that. I think it was just like an insanely well-played game on the defensive end, and yeah. both teams were executing so well, the Magic in particular... I mean, the Raptors did sort of, I think, settle into a bit of like a quick fire, you know, isolation with either Fred or Pascal type of offense. But I do think that was born out of them not being able to get much in the way of space or angles to pass out of when they were trying to do their driving kick stuff. It just, it, the, the, the magic were everywhere. Their limbs were everywhere. Jonathan Isaac was awesome. But still, I mean, the Raptors, and in particular Pascal Siakam, figured that out at one point uh, later in the game, as we'll get to. But still, just a really well-played defensive game. The Raptors, I think you kind of saw exactly why we ever, all, everyone expected that while the offense was going to tail off this season, the defense was going to stay elite. And OG Ananobi, in particular, is ridiculous right now at the defensive end. He... You know, in his rookie season, he was very good on the ball, struggled off the ball. Last season, it was kind of a lost year for him in all respects. This season, 
He's still a monster on the ball where he'll take your lunch at any moment, but also he seems to be just really liberated to sort of play more of a free safety role. He's, you know, flying out of nowhere for blocks on the help side. He's got five steals last night after his four blocks against the Bulls on Saturday. He's just causing havoc everywhere. And with that, paired with Siakam and Gasol in the backcourt of Lowry and Van Vliet, which is always very stout, even in spite of their size, you could almost argue that, you know, this is just as good, if not even a slightly better defensive lineup than the Raptors could throw out last season. I know Kawhi, when he really wanted to, was Pete Kawhi, but he wasn't that for most of the season. He didn't really seem to have that gear defensively that he had when he was with San Antonio, where he would just like rob Ben McLemore of his entire career over the course of a single possession. It was, it just, it seems really, really in tune right now. They seem really comfortable with how they're playing. And OG sort of leveling up like this has given them this sort of ace out there who can take some of the burden off of Siakam, take some of the burden off of Gasol to always have to be there to meet guys at the rim. And it's just really, really fun to watch them defend right now. Uh, I know it's just four games and all that stuff, but the Raptors right now, third best in the league in defensive rating at 96.7. Also, I believe they're top five in net rating. Yep, fifth in net rating at plus 7.5. So uh, typically... This is where they hang out in those standings, and they're back there again, which is cool to see. And I'm just, I'm loving what they're doing defensively right now. They've gone to zone a lot too, and that I think kind of hurt them in that Celtics game uh, when it came to rebounding because they were not really in position to grab boards. But the rebounding seemed to be much tidier in this game against the Magic, just eight offensive rebounds allowed. What did you think about how the Raptors addressed their latent rebounding concerns for the first few games? Yeah, I was impressed. Um, there seemed to be more of like an awareness last game too, but it continues to be an awareness that they have to rebound by committee, which is not new. I mean, they had to do that last season as well. But um, I think one of the most underrated things about Kawhi leaving um, for this season is that uh, he was a fantastic rebounder last year. Like one of the most underrated rebounders, I think, on the team. He did a lot of that work. And uh, especially from the wing position, it's not like he was a big doing it. And uh, the Raptors needed to kind of find a spot to address that. And I mean, OG's been pretty good. I mean, he's rebounding a lot better than his, than his career marks. I mean, I don't think he's ever averaged more than three rebounds per game um, in the other two seasons that he's played. So, uh, and I think he's up to like uh, seven, seven point something maybe um, this this season so far in four games. So he's been uh, much better attacking the glass. The last two games, Gasol has had. Uh, 10 rebounds in both, had a double-double last night. Um, that's been great to see him um, be a little more focused there, even if the offense is still uh, working on coming back. So you can see that the team, and of course Kyle Lowry's rebound, every time you look at Kyle Lowry's rebounds, you're like, wow, <laughs> he, has, he has that many rebounds right now? I'm, I'm shocked. Um, he, he's just always in there somehow getting rebounds. So yeah, it's, it's pretty good to see them uh, have more of a focus on rebounding by committee, and they're going to have to do that going forward. I mean, they're never going to be an elite rebounding team, uh, with, with this roster and especially a starting lineup that features two point guards. But, um, I mean, they, you know, they couldn't continue to allow some of the comical offensive rebounding numbers that were put up against them early on. And yeah, they did a uh, really good job last night, only six offensive rebounds. So, uh, much improved there. Yeah, totally. Uh, there was one play in particular, I can't remember exactly when it took place, but Kyle, uh, this was in the first half, I believe, Boxed someone out with his ass in a way only Kyle Lowry can do, and then took it coast to coast for a bucket. And it was just the most Kyle Lowry play I've ever seen. Gasol was good on the glass as well in this one. Abaka hit the glass pretty hard too. 
Like, I think there's the makings of a, at least an average rebounding team here, because Gasol's not, like, a sieve there. He's not terrible. He's not great, but he's not terrible. Abak yeah. has always been, like, a pretty, you know, average-ish rebounder. And then Siakam is pretty good for his size and position. And so mm-hmm. I think if there's a concerted effort, which it really seemed like there was in this game, it doesn't have to be a situation where they're bleeding 21 offensive rebounds a game the way they did against Boston. Like, I still don't think they're going to be an above-average rebounding team, but with the coaching that seemed to be implemented in between games here and just the the skill involved with some of these guys and maybe sort of an uptick from OG, this shouldn't be a team that's getting absolutely bludgeoned on the offensive glass in every single game. Maybe there'll be some matchups where like a Steven Adams or an Enos Cantor or something really kills them, but it doesn't have to be terrible. And I think we saw that against the Magic last night. Uh, we should probably talk about Kyle Lowry because... Holy God, Kyle Lowry is just back on his bullshit in the best kind of way. But before we get to that, just a quick reminder that Indochino is one of the companies helping to bring today's show to you. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with 30 bucks off your total purchase of 399 bucks or more at Indochino.com when entering LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout for Indochino. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. All right, let's get into Kyle Lowry here, Josh. Kyle, last night, 26 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 7 of 18. Really came through in a couple of big situations for the Raptors at the end of the second quarter with just the most brazen 2-for-1 I've ever seen. Uh, And then, like, it would have made Lou Williams proud. And then just a great sort of clutch finish to the game as well where... The offense was stagnant. It was getting sort of bludgeoned by the Magic's length and their and their physicality on defense, and they just switched things up and it went Lowry pick and roll with Siakam, and the Magic had no answer for it, and Lowry just carved them apart uh, with his own offense, then finding Siakam for an assist as well. This was a vintage Kyle Lowry game, as like it, it took me back to like 2016, 2017 for him. Like that, that's how good this was. That's how sort of dominant it was to see him take over. I wasn't really expecting him to have that in his game this season, really. I thought maybe he'd defer a little bit more to Pascal and OG and Fred and just sort of try to get those guys, uh, you know, feeling themselves and whatnot. But Kyle early on here seems to really be very eager to take over the reins of the team. Wondering what your thoughts are on how he's played so far through the season. Yeah, he's looked really comfortable like you're mentioning, um, coming back and sort of taking a more uh, a, a larger role again in terms of scoring and handling the offense. And he had a lot of timely buckets last night. That's what I thought about uh, most every time he scored was, I mean, he, he shot a lot and didn't have the most fantastic percentage, but when you're out there as much as he was, I mean, you're, and he, he's willing to score or to shoot, and he, he's going to score. Hmm. Um, but uh, a, a lot of those baskets seem to come at timely moments, like you're saying, near the end of the second half. He had this uh, amazing two-for-one, the reverse buzzer beater, little Carl English on the layup, so pretty. Um, there were a lot of moments like that. You know, the Raptors' offense is stagnating. They need a three. Nothing's going down for five or six possessions, and then Larry just comes and hits a pull-up jumper, and uh, they're kind of back into it a little bit. 
or they don't know what they're doing. Siakam's been isolating a couple of possessions against Isaac or something. It's not working down in the post. Bring it back up to Lowry. He can run a pick and roll. He's just a maestro there. Anytime he has the ball running stuff there, you're going to get something good out of it. Uh, there was one sequence where Lowry uh, caught the ball falling away um, in the corner, hit a triple, fell onto the baseline, like into the crowd, not just like uh, along the baseline, but all the way into the crowd, sprinted all the way back to the other end and managed to get a charge right away. <laughs> um, that's just the most Lowry possession, two possessions I could think of back to back. So yeah, it's it's been really great to see him kind of back to really similar 2016 kind of Kyle Lowry, which I didn't, I wasn't sure it was possible. Um, I do think the minutes load is a little bit much right now for a guy who's 33, going to be 34 in March. But um, yeah, I mean, he's really taking the reins and just going for it. Yeah, the minutes thing is certainly a concern. He's been, I think, over 38 three of the four games so far. I think he played 34 against the Bulls on Saturday. And look, I'm going to give Nick Nurse a bit of the benefit of the doubt here because, I mean, he's seen the last two seasons the benefits of keeping Kyle Lowry fresh throughout the regular season. And I don't think he's, like, stupid enough, frankly, to say, all right, I just got to run Kyle out there 38 minutes a game the entire year because we've seen exactly what that leads to with Kyle Lowry, with the way he plays, especially with how he's been playing so far this year where he's racking up the free throw totals, he's getting to the line a ton. You're asking for something bad to happen with the way Kyle is playing by playing him for that many exhausting minutes over the course of a game. And so I think he'll figure out this rotation thing. I think he'll pare down those minutes at some point. My biggest concern with that right now is how is he going to do it? Because he sort of expanded the rotation last night. He gave Chris Boucher some run. Patrick McCaw played his first game of the season, took a whole two shots in 17 minutes as only Patrick McCaw can do. Uh, And so like those guys got some run, but Boucher only played four minutes after a sort of okay, interesting stretch with a big bench unit led by Kyle Lowry. Another vintage Lowry thing, a Lowry and bench mob, which was kind of cool. I think with McCaw, Powell, and Ibaka with Boucher at the four. Didn't have that much run, and Boucher never got back in the game. And then we just, you know, they just went back to what they've done for the first few games, which is just run Kyle to death in the second half, and the rotation was essentially eight. You know, Terrence Davis played just one minute, Ibaka 22, Powell 20, and then nobody else got in there. Matt Thomas saw no time after his breakout uh, game on Saturday against the Bulls. What's going on here do you think with the rotation what do you think the solutions are for this point guard thing is there like an outside hire they need to bring in to be the third point guard because McCaw doesn't cut it like how worried are you about this and what do you think the potential solutions are um in terms of just the minutes load like fairly worried like you're saying like like you mentioned I mean Kyle Lowry we know what happens if you run him into the ground with as many minutes and he's not getting any younger and he is a smaller size point guard and um, the starting lineup right now runs two point guards to begin with Van Vliet as well. So Van Vliet's obviously not coming off the bench um, to relieve Lowry in that sort of role, uh, even though one of them is typically taken out earlier than the other. Um, yeah, I mean, Nurse has got to go to some of these guys on the bench. And I mean, I think he's still figuring some stuff out. Like obviously up to this point, Davis has been the eighth man on the team. And last night was McCaw, uh, McCaw's first game uh, coming back from injury and he played and he was pretty good. I mean, the, I think nurse did a good job slotting him into lineups that made the most sense for his skill set. And all he really had to do was run around to be an energy guy and, and try on defense and pass the ball. And he, he didn't end up 
in too many scenarios where he had to shoot. Um, although credit to him and, and the couple where he was wide open, he did shoot the ball at least. Um, so I think and I think he was pretty good uh, for what he did last night. But yeah, I mean Terrence Davis playing only a minute, even though he's been pretty good um, this season so far. Chris Boucher was out there for a little bit, only played four minutes. Um, yeah, I mean. You didn't see anything from Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. Not entirely sure what's going on there. We know what's been happening with Stanley Johnson. I think Matt Thomas has been okay, again, depending. Obviously, a defensive sieve of a player, but um, very important offensively in terms of floor spacing and shooting. So, you know, I mean, some of these guys kind of got to get minutes. I'm not really sure how else to put it. Because um, if you keep going this way, I mean, guys like... OG and Siakam can handle the upper 30s. They're young enough for sure. Yeah. And and the rotation for the bigs has been fine. Gasol, you know, only played 26 minutes last night. Abaka can also come in and handle a fair amount of minutes there. Boucher got some run too. Um, yeah, it's just the, it's just the wing rotation. I'm not sure if there's anyone out there that they're thinking about uh, trying to get after, but uh, I wouldn't expect any serious trades. Um, uh, at least not before the middle of December or anything. So. Um, yeah, I, I think really you just kind of got to dig deeper into the rotation at the moment. I mean, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I thought Terrence Davis would play more than one minute last night. Yeah, that was uh, that was bizarre considering he's been not always terribly effective, but he's always doing stuff when he's out there, and he's had a couple nice moments where he's popped, and you know they were grooming him as the third point guard. Maybe he's not ready to be the third point guard right now, and yeah. you know, that's sort of the the reasoning for him not getting a ton of run there, but... I, you know, just any minutes you can get for those guys when you sort of play them off of Lowry and Van Vliet, both playing in the backcourt, like they're going to get be able to get those guys some rest. Whoever is playing in the backcourt, you can sort of rest one of Kyle or Fred in those situations because those are kind of fluid positions anyway. Um, and on that note, like, so this is going to sound like blasphemy, but I wonder if maybe it's time to try Norm as the starter. For a few reasons. First of all, I think it's pretty clear Norm doesn't work in the bench unit. Last night we saw a few times him sort of having to create offense as like the number two guy in the lineup. And it just doesn't work because he is not good at driving into a defense that's ready for him. He doesn't have ideas. He gets in there. He gets stuck. He is kind of one-track minded. As I've said a thousand times on this podcast, it's painfully clear that Norm's best lot in the NBA is as like a fourth or fifth guy in a lineup where the ball's coming to him late in a possession and he can make something happen when the defense is out of position, rotating, not ready for it, and not really equipped to stop anything. Um, And his straight-line drives are more effective that way. That's just what Norm is. And he's better also as a shooter when he's not having to pull up for threes and he can just sort of catch those catch-and-shoots off of nice actions and whatnot. That's been pretty much proven. I know Norm has been up and down in his career, but the ups and downs have coincided with those exact sort of fluctuations in his role. And so with Fred obviously being as good as he's been so far, although his shooting has been pretty inefficient and that's kind of a bit of a concern, but... With as good as Fred's been, it seems totally outrageous to say he shouldn't be starting. But I just think with the way Norm Powell succeeds most often and the way Fred, I think, can kind of help with those bench lineups and also just help with, you know, being able to more easily rest him and Kyle together. Like, you can have one of those guys on the floor at all times. If you have them both on the floor to start games, it just makes managing the rotation for the point guards that that much more difficult. And you're more likely to have those guys both ring up huge minute totals where if 
they're only playing point guard essentially, except for in closing time, which is where you're probably going to play them together anyway. Like you're able to manage it just a little bit more traditionally instead of having to get creative and weird by having a third point guard come in. And so I think that's got to be the way to do it. And maybe that seems crazy because people love Fred and Norm is kind of a hot button issue of contention. But I, I just think Norm is not working where he is right now. Fred has been pretty, you know, average since the first game of the season where he popped off. And I think maybe that's the switch to make. I don't know if Nurse is going to make it. I feel like Fred's kind of entrenched there right now. But I just can't help but think a lot of the problems with the rotation and some of the guys underperforming right now will be fixed if they can just make that one little subtle switch. Yeah, and Nurse as well. Like I mean, he's kind of stuck in a bit in a way too because, I mean, the main issue with this roster that we already knew going into the season was that it was going to be difficult for them to create offense because they just don't have that many individual creators on the team. And so he's stuck trying to put together lineups that can have that amount of creation. And it's really hard to put a, um, you know, like a consistent kind of second unit out there, whether it be with a few starters or not, that has that amount of creation. And you would kind of hope that maybe Norman Powell would be one of those guys who would be a little more able to do that for a second unit, but hasn't really been able to. And we obviously have seen, like you've said, that he hasn't in the past either. Um, which partly why I was a little surprised, you know, Davis didn't play as much as he did last night because although he's not as at his best on the ball, um, he's been able to show a little bit of that kind of stuff. But really, all the guys who are individual creators are in the in the starting lineup, yeah. and um, even Van Vliet. That was something that like you and I talked about him on a podcast, you know, before the season. That was something we had questions about um, going into the season. Was like, how much can he actually create? Is he going to be able to show up and show that he can do that? not being next to Kyle Lowry. And uh, at times, he's really done it. I mean, that first game of the season, he was fantastic on his own, creating and running everything. Um, but I think it, I think slotting him kind of back to the bench as well also gives him uh, the opportunity to do some other stuff that maybe he's not being able to do as consistently in the starting lineup, playing so much with Kyle Lowry. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in the end... It, it's going to be tough no matter what, just because this team just simply doesn't have a lot of guys that are able to just go out and, you know, make things happen and penetrate the defense at will. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that's going to be nagging, I think, and it might be one of those things that takes a long time to change, but ultimately I think they'll be better off for it if that's the conclusion they eventually come to. Uh, we shall see, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Uh, let's sort of bounce around a couple more things from this game. Pascal Siakam, we, like, I feel like we're at risk of maybe sort of having this, the thing that happens with a lot of star players on a podcast like this, where we get so bogged down in, like, the nitty-gritty of the end of rotation stuff and whatnot, that we kind of forget to appreciate how great the, like, the best player on the team is, and I still think Kyle's probably the best player, whatever, but that's a conversation for another day, but... Like, this happened with Kawhi last year a lot, which is why I tried to implement the Kawhi Leonard Appreciation Minute, because, holy God, he really warranted it. Pascal Siakam is insanely good. <laughs> like, it's yep. it's been really fun to watch him so far this year. He just, I keep using this sort of analogy, but it really does feel like, like, I watched The Incredibles over the weekend, 
and <laughs> you know how they have the robot that like learns while it while it while it fights on how to beat you. That's yeah. kind of what it feels like. Siakam is where that game. He, I mean, I, I think they could probably run some more creative stuff for him. There was a lot of just like, all right, here, Pascal, post up, do something, please, against Jonathan Isaac, because we don't have any other ideas right now. And I don't think that was the best way for him to succeed. But I do think that the, you know, the, the, you can see him when he's even put in those maybe not so favorable positions. He's just kind of learning and figuring out how to do it on the fly. And that really sort of was seen last night when he was sort of bogged down by Isaac in the post most of the night, and then late in the game when they need a crunch time bucket, when he's got five fouls as well, he goes in and has a beautiful move, totally shakes Isaac, gets the bucket out of it. I think it was an and one. And it was just like, all right, at least he figured that out now. That's cool. And he just had so many little instances last night as we've seen him with his post game so far, which has been a really heavy part of his game so far. You know, it just seems like he is slowly figuring out, figuring it out possession by possession. There was one where... I think it was in the first half where Aaron Gordon was like digging down to send a double his way. Then he sort of like faked a pass out of the double, got Gordon to step off, then just totally drop stepped Isaac to the baseline, spun around for the bucket there. And it just seems like he's really refining that post game in a really dangerous and lovely way uh, in terms of, you know, what it is aesthetically. I I don't know. Just what are your sort of original early impressions of the Siakam learning experience? Because it really feels like, maybe we underestimated exactly what he could be this season. Yeah. Um, he, he feels like a raw star Yeah, because there's so much stuff going on. That's, that's like hindering him. And then you look at the box score at the end of games and he has like what he had last night, 24, nine rebounds, three assists. And you're like, how did, how did, how did that happen? Because almost everything he does, at least to start this season, kind of happens in bursts. I mean, he's he's been in foul trouble quite a bit, so that's kind of taken away his rhythm sometimes and and, and minutes, obviously. Um, and then there's instances where, like you're saying, he's still learning, like where they were just doing like, ISO possessions against Isaac, who's an amazing defender. And most of the time that didn't go super well, but as soon as they got um, a little more movement or ran something like a pick and roll or whatever, and it got the defense moving a little bit, then Siakam's just too quick. For a guy, uh, pretty much anybody, and uh, was able to score a lot that way. Um, we saw him even in the first game of the season was kind of neat when they got down to crunch time, and, and that game was obviously really close. Ended up going to overtime, and Siakam fouled out of that game. But right before he did, he scored like two or three straight possessions uh, as the guy on the team, and he just looked so comfortable, saying, "Okay, I'm gonna just take over now. Uh, this is what I do." And um, it's kind of scary because there's so much stuff where it, he is still figuring it out. And he's not quite there yet. And obviously, we're so early in the season. That's partly what this season is for. It's a development season. Um, the Raptors are going to get to see what Siakam can be once he has a full 82 games of being the guy. Um, but that's kind of awesome and terrifying because wait until he gets a hang of it. Wait, yeah. wait until he's not in foul trouble all the time. Wait until he uh, knows the uh, best way for him personally to attack defense uh, defenses on every other possession. Um, yeah, I mean... It's uh, he, he's really really good. I, th- I think he is maybe um, a little bit better than a lot of people thought uh, already. Just going into this season, I mean, he had back to back with thirty plus performances, which was the first time he's ever done that. And he just came out and casually did it, and everyone was like, "Okay." And I mean, he's 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 hitting threes like all the time now. I mean, last season he wasn't hitting threes above the break almost ever. Everything was from the corners, and now he's just hitting them at, at the top of the arc, and everyone just acts like it's normal. I, we're only four games into the season. Like this is, 
not necessarily normal. This is like super impressive. Um, where did this come from? He's just doing this now. So, I mean, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, and look, he's got to figure some shit out. The fouls are a problem. He's got five fouls in three games and fouled out of one, and that I think speaks to maybe like a lack of sort of. Uh, digging in and focus focus on defense, which is fair considering the load he's taken on offensively, but he's got to sort of find that balance, I think. And the turnovers are very real, and he's got to sort of figure that game out, that part of his game out as well. There were even a couple yeah. times last night where he would have had an extra turnover, but the Magic just sort of bobbled the, the interception of the pass or whatever. But um, if this is what we're seeing, a 27-10 and 3.5 guy on 60% true shooting with all of these foibles still pretty obvious in his game, I mean, there's no doubt that the max contract is worth it, and it's oh, yeah. terrifying as to what it can be. And it kind of reminds me, in a weird way, of like second or third year Anthony Davis, where we were just kind of seeing the full breadth of his skills, and we kind of just assumed, oh yeah, he's a big man, he posts up and that's what he does, or he's he's a role man. But then it's like, oh, no, he's got this handle. And, oh, no, he can knock shots down from mid-range. And, oh, no, like he's got a bit of a passing game as well. And I'm not saying Pascal Siakam is Anthony Davis, although I don't think the comparison is as crazy as maybe it sounds on paper, considering Davis is like a top five player and Siakam is maybe a top 20 player, you know, by the end of the season. So it's not that far off. But it's, you know, the, the, the sort of learning on the fly type of thing and sort of every single night realizing another thing he's capable of does kind of give me those early Davis vibes, which is pretty fun and uh, very, very thrilling to watch and makes me continually look forward to the next thing he's going to do. The pick and roll stuff was really, really exciting last night in particular. Uh, Mm -hmm. Seeing him sort of be able to do it all, you know, catch on the roll and score, catch on the roll and, you know, knock down the Serge Ibaka jump shot. I would imagine he's going to start picking and popping a little bit too. Like there's no reason to not use him in all those ways if he's going to be successful in all of them. So I, uh, I look forward to them developing that part of the game as well because the Lowry Siakam pick and roll is apparently just like a nuclear bomb that they, <laughs> they could drop at some point, which is really fun. And I uh, look forward to that being one of their staple plays of the season because it really saved their asses last night after a pretty stagnant evening and made you wonder why they didn't do it a little bit more often. Uh, Josh, any quick parting shots before we wrap up here? Uh, shout out to Fred Van Vliet for sending Fultz into the nether realm. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> holy crap, that was that was vicious. Uh, the entire arena just kind of it, it wasn't even so much as a cheering as it was like a gasp of, <laughs> of oh my goodness. And it had to be Fultz, of course, um, <laughs> that just straight up dropped and Fred hit the three and uh, the arena exploded. That was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, also Marcus Gasol, nice to see him have a decent game. Still not there offensively, but nice to see him hit a turnaround jumper and a nice little post move and looked a little more like Marcus Gasol, finally. And also, poor Nikola Vucevic. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's Gasol is so in Vuce's head. Like, there were a bunch of times that Vuce could have made a couple shots, and he just, you could tell, he just bricked them because he just shot them a little too early, was moving a, a, a little too quick, and and kind of glancing at Gasol, who's right there, just staring at him. And, uh, oh, my God, you can just see it all over his face. That Gasol's totally in his head. Yeah, the Aaron Gordon going 1 of 6 and Vooch going 1 of 13 speaks quite highly, I think, of the OG and uh, and Gasol defensive pairing last night. They were yeah. dynamite. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, however, 
is really, really good. And I'm oh, yeah. terrified of what he can be. His defense, like he had a couple sequences last night where he'd sco- like he came to three and then came down and like completely swatted an OG dunk. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh, all right, I, I guess it's Jonathan Isaac's doing that now. Okay. Uh, pretty scary. He had three steals, two blocks to go with his 24-7 and seven on 7 of 10 shooting and five threes. Uh, yep. He's awesome, and the Magic have something there in a very, very scary way. Also, Fultz looked pretty good, so good for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's about going to do it for today's show. Thanks, Josh, for coming on today. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, I wrote something for Raptors.com. Yeah. Uh, like Hell yeah, you did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm doing that. Um, we're doing some stuff for them for the next uh, month or so. So you can go to uh, raptors.com and see it there. Um, I wrote about Ring Night, so that was really fun, really cool. Um, it's up now. Yeah, you can find that. Uh, for everything else, uh, you'll probably find me at Raptors Republic. I host the Writers Write podcast, um, which is up everywhere you can find podcasts. And other than that, I'm on Twitter at Howvolution, and you can find me there. Outstanding. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, uh, Locked on Raptors on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated if you leave that rating and review. Uh, a nice rating and review. We've had some like stinker reviews lately for some reason. I don't know why. I'm nice. What, what, what did I do to you? But if you want to help bring up the rating, you can do that. That's very much appreciated. Uh, also, you can buy We the Champs wherever you get your books. It's still available if you want to bask in that post-championship glow. Christmas present as well. We're two months away from Christmas. That's a good idea if you want to give that to somebody as a nice little gifty. And uh, that's going to do it. We'll be back again on Wednesday with, uh, I think Katie Heindel's maybe going to stop by the podcast, depending on schedules. We'll figure that out. Uh, Thursday, I'm going to be joined by Paul Lawton, who is a former guest on this show, came on the day after the Kawhi shot, which was great. And Paul has a new podcast called Welcome to, Tro- Welcome Toronto. Welcome to Toronto. What the hell's wrong with me? Welcome Toronto. Uh, it's a Raptors podcast. He's going to come on to do a little promo for that, and we'll chat about the game against the Pistons Wednesday night. Later in the week, I think we're going to try to line up something with Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks to chat about the Bucks game on Saturday. So we got a full week of shows lined up for you, so stay tuned for all that. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.